so there was a, uh, a preacher and a lawyer, and they both died about the same time, and they, they get to the pearly gates, and St. Peter welcomes them, walks them to their house, the preacher walks in his house, it's a nice house, he's got some nice carpet, got a, you know, TV on the wall, um, you know, a little couch, looks in his kitchen, he's got a stove, a refrigerator, walks to his bedroom, you know, he's got a nice little bed there, and looks out in his backyard, he's got a small backyard, says, okay, that's kind of nice, and he glances out his front window and looks across the street, he sees this lawyer moving into this huge mansion, he says, well, I got to go check this out, so he walks across the street, and walks in, and living room, the guy's got this 80-inch TV, this big recliner, looks in the kitchen, all the, all the appliances are made of silver, there's quartz countertops, he looks around, all the floors are gold, goes up to the bedroom, there's a huge, like, king-size bed, fireplace in the bedroom, looks out in the yard, there's a swimming pool, huge yard, a jacuzzi, Preacher says, hey, wait a minute, what, what's going on here? So he goes out, he goes to find St. Peter. He says, hey, I think you made a mistake here. He says, I, I've dedicated my life to serving the Lord. I've brought thousands of people to Christ. And, you know, I've got this meager little house. But, but, but that, that lawyer's got this huge mansion. St. Peter says, no, no, you've got the right house. He says, you know, we've got a lot of preachers up here, but this is our first lawyer. So we're, we're going to talk, there's a, there's a lawyer in our, story, in our sermon today and in our text. Um, but this is the next sermon, the next message um, in our Engage Bristol. Um, you know, our three-year plan, as you guys know, last year we spent last year talking about engaging Jesus. This year, the second part of our three-year plan is Engage Bristol. And the past several weeks, we've heard from Mark We've heard from Dennis. Last week we heard from Matt. Um, you know, what is our city? Our city is the city of Bristol. That's why it's engaged Bristol. Um, you know, a couple weeks ago, Dennis talked about, you know, Jesus weeping for Jerusalem and gave us, you know, the parallels to why, you know, we need to weep or we need to care for the city of Bristol. Um, and last week, Matt talked about just understanding our city and the need for us to understand that, that Bristol needs Jesus. So today we're going to talk about loving our city. How do we love the city of Bristol? And we're going to look at, there's three parallel texts in the New Testament. Um, we've got Matthew chapter 22, 34 through 40, Mark 12, 28 to 34, that should say 34, um, and Luke 10, 25 through 37. If you're going to turn in your Bibles, we're going to spend most of the time in the passage from Luke. Um, we will look at the others. They all have a, a little different perspective, uh, a different, uh, you know, facts and events included. But we're going to spend most of our time in Luke. Um, so all of these talk about the greatest or the most important commandment, right? What is the greatest commandment? Um, again, the timing's a little different where they occur. 
Um, that's not a concern. You know, we can very safely uh, presume that Jesus talked about this. If he's going to tell us this is the greatest commandment, probably talked about it more than once. So let's go ahead and look, look at uh, Luke 10, and I'll start reading in verse, verse 25. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds to him and says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, this man was an expert in the law, okay? The New American Standard Bible and the King James Version translate this as lawyer. He knew the law. He knew every aspect of the Mosaic law, okay? All the ceremonial laws, the religious laws, the civil laws, Okay, this man was well-educated. He, again, he would have been our equivalent of a lawyer. That's how a lot of the versions translate it. And he was a very good one. And the question that he asked Jesus is simply the most important question that any of us can ever ask. And he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, because, you know, what we do on this earth, our success, the things we accumulate, the things we accomplish, all of that is going to perish. Okay, but we will all, our souls will live forever, either to eternal life or eternal punishment. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verses 14 and 15, it says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So when this lawyer asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's asking the most important question that we can ever ask. So before we worry about understanding a sermon, what, what Sunday school, what service we should attend, worshiping, what, what worship song we're going to send, who needs to be on a prayer list. We need to answer that question. And let me be clear about what the Bible teaches about eternal life. The only way to eternal life is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, so that no one may boast. There's simply no other way to heaven. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. So, we, I want us to keep that in mind. Jesus is the way to heaven. It's not Jesus and something else. It's just Jesus. 
So let's go back to our friend the lawyer. When he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, Jesus turns the question back on him. Jesus knew this man's heart, okay? He, he knew what this man's motives were. So Jesus turns the questions back on him. He says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? The man answers honestly because really what Jesus is asking him is what are you going to do with me? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So when Jesus says, what is written in the law, how do you read it? He's asking this lawyer, what are you going to do with me? Okay, so the lawyer responds to Jesus. He quotes the law. Again, he's an expert. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6.5. He's quoting Leviticus 19. Jesus affirms his answer. He says, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Now, Jesus is not telling him that he can earn his way to heaven. That's why I wanted to make sure we talked about Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Jesus is telling him that the only way any of us, that any person, can fulfill these commands is by trusting in him. Trust in Jesus, right? 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6 says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, the love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to be in him must live as Jesus did. So what Jesus is telling this lawyer is if you truly have a genuine faith and you truly love God, then go love your neighbor and yes, you will inherit eternal life. So the evidence of our faith in Jesus, the evidence that we trust him is if we keep his commandments. Okay, we're not going to be perfect in that. None of us can keep the law perfectly. But the evidence is how we keep his commandments. So let's turn back to the lawyer. He's well-educated. And you know, frankly, he's probably like a lot of us in his room, in this room. You know, he's well-educated. He's intelligent. Um, but again, Jesus knows his motives. In verse 29, he says, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, he may have known the law, but deep down, the fact that he asks this question tells me, and I think Jesus knew this too, that he really wasn't obeying the law, and he knew it. Because he said, who is my neighbor? Now, keep in mind, this man's highly educated. He's among the wealthiest people in Jerusalem. He's educated. He knows the law. He can read. He most likely hangs out with the priests and the Pharisees. And he's looking out there at Jesus. And who surrounds Jesus? Smelly fishermen, tax collectors, commoners, poor people, uneducated people. 
The crowds surrounding Jesus didn't look like him. They didn't live in his circles. And he knows he's supposed to love his neighbor. So he's really looking for a way out. He's saying, Jesus, who's my neighbor? You know, my, my, what he's really saying is, Jesus, my neighbor is these people that look like me. These, peoples that think, these people that think like me. These smelly fishermen that follow you around, they're not really my neighbor. Are they, Jesus? So Jesus responds, and he tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. And I'm not going to read that whole passage, but Jesus tells him the story of the Good Samaritan, a man walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, Jericho at that time was largely a pagan city. So we have an image here of a man leaving the city of God, the holy city, that sits on a hill and walking down to a pagan city. Jericho is close to the Dead Sea, which is, I believe, the lowest point on earth. It's over 1,300 feet below sea level. So we have this image of a man walking from the city of God down to a pagan city. This man was walking, so it tells us he probably was not wealthy. That was a long walk, several days' walk at that time. Probably not wealthy. He comes across a band of thieves. They beat him, leave him for dead, strip him naked, and he's laying in a ditch. The priest walks by, who this lawyer would have identified with. He goes to the other side of the road. The Levite who this man, our lawyer friend, would have identified with, walks to the other side of the road. And then here comes the Samaritan, who Jewish people of that day would have viewed as half-breed. They, they would not have associated with him. The Samaritan not only stops and helps this man, but the Samaritan was on a horse. He, he was not walking. He put this man up on his animal. And now the Samaritan was walking. And when Jesus finished telling him, he asked our friend, the lawyer, who was the good neighbor? And this man says, the Samaritan. And Jesus tells him, go and do likewise. Tells him to be that kind of neighbor. Now, we don't know what happened to the lawyer. The last time that we hear about him in, in scriptures. Um, but I do know this, when it comes to loving our city, when it comes to engaging Bristol, there's a lesson in there for us. And that's the, the first point I want to talk about today. Loving our city is not just a good idea. It's a biblical command. Okay, the scripture doesn't say love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor when it's convenient. The scripture says, love your neighbor as yourself. That is what the word of God says. So, like our friend the lawyer, let's ask the question, who is our neighbor? Who is our neighbor? Is our neighbor the guy that lives down the street, and fires his grill up, throws some ribeyes on, and says, come down and join us for dinner? That's a pretty good neighbor. That, that, that neighbor's easy to love, right? Is the neighbor the guy that lives on the other side of the street 
doesn't mow his grass, plays loud music all the time. Is that our neighbor? Is that, is that neighbor easy to love? What about the neighbor? And, and, and I'm talking to myself here. What about the neighbor that has about 12 broken down cars in their, in their yard? Um, you know, always has a bunch of people over. Has, keeps barking dogs outside at night, chained up. Is that the neighbor we're supposed to love? What about us? When we cook, we fire up our grill, we start cooking hamburgers and hot dogs. Who are we inviting to our house? Are we inviting folks from church? Certainly we should do that. But are we inviting the neighbor down the street who's not a Christian, who thinks we're just ignorant and uneducated, who makes fun of us? Are we inviting that person? Are we inviting the person who loves the same college football team we do? And we can talk about college football and college basketball. Or are we inviting the neighbor down the street who all he does is brag about himself and talk about himself? When we think about inviting people to church, are we inviting the coworker that everybody loves and everybody thinks is funny? Or are we inviting the coworker that we're not real sure how often they shout? So what is loving my city? Is loving my city when I volunteer with the local sports organization? Certainly it is. Is loving my city when I go spend Thanksgiving morning at the homeless shelter? Is loving my city something I do when Central Christian Church plans a function and we show up on a Saturday afternoon? Yeah, it is. Or is loving my city, is loving my city what I do when I'm at Walmart, when I'm out to eat in a restaurant, or when I go to the DMV? Is loving my city, being nice and being a Christian person and loving people in the DMV? Is loving my city, loving the person who lets me out in traffic, or loving the person that cuts me off in traffic? You see, loving our city... It is not just a church program. It's not just something that we do when it's convenient or when it's easy. It's a biblical command. When we talk about Engage Bristol, that's not just something that the deacons and the elders and the church staff got together and said, you know what, seems like a good idea. Right? Let's put that in our strategic plan. We think it's a good idea. No, it's at the very core of being a Christian look at this parallel passage here in Matthew 22, okay? Jesus, Jesus replies, in, in this version or in this, in this passage, the lawyer asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But Jesus says the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus tells us that's the second greatest commandment. And then he goes on in verse 40. He says, all the law and the prophets 
hang on these two commandments. So when we talk about loving our neighbor, we're not loving our neighbor when it's convenient, when it's easy. We're not loving our neighbor when the church plans a function. Loving our neighbor is at the core of who we are as Christians. If we're not actively engaging our community outside of Christian church, we're being disobedient to God and his commands. Failing to love our city is no different than violating any of the other Ten Commandments. If we're not loving our city, if we're not loving our neighbor, it's no different than taking the name of the Lord in vain. It's no different than committing adultery, committing murder, being covetous. It's all the same. Jesus says this is the second greatest commandment. And if you think about it, the first four commandments are all about loving God. The last six are about loving your neighbor. So let's go on to our second point. Loving our city is evidence that we have eternal life. Okay, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus directly ties loving your neighbor to eternal life. When he tells the lawyer, go and do this, go and do likewise, in response to the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus makes it clear that we can't love God, that we are not loving God properly the way we should if we don't love our neighbor. We are saved by grace through faith. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But verse 10 says that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. If we don't manifest the love of God by loving our city, we need to check and see if our faith is genuine. So let's think about our friend, the lawyer. If somebody accused you of being a Christian, somebody said, that man, that woman is a Christian, and I'm going to prove it in a court of law, could somebody, could you be convicted of being a Christian? Because, listen, loving God, that's, that's really between us and the Lord. Right, our prayer life, our study time in the Bible, that's, that's personal, that's between us. But when we look at loving our city, how we love our neighbor, how we love others, that's the evidence that we're Christians. If you were tried in a court of law, could a prosecuting attorney point to evidence in your life and say, that woman, that man, they're a Christian? Because look how they love. Look how they love their neighbor. Look how they love their city. Would you be convicted of being a Christian? All right, so our third point. Next to loving God, loving our city is the most important thing we can do. Jesus said it's the second greatest commandment. Love our neighbor. Love our city. If we look at the next passage, go ahead to the next slide. Um, Mark, the parallel passage in Mark. After Jesus told the man the greatest commandments, which are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor, the man replied, Well said, teacher. You are right. 
in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. So there's a lot of things we can do at Central Christian Church. We can sing in the choirs. We can take part in the Christmas or Easter programs. We can teach a Sunday school class. We can be in the praise band. We can tithe. We can give. We can do projects around the church. Okay, we can serve on the church board. We can volunteer in the services. We can cook on Wednesday nights. We can go to TCTC with the youth. And all of those things are very important. Those are things that as Christians we need to be doing. But if we look at this passage, the scripture tells us that loving our city and loving our neighbor is more important. And a lot of us, myself included, are pretty eager to come volunteer at the church. But how willing are we to go out into the city? How willing are we to love our neighbor when it's not convenient? To love our city when it's not convenient. It says, there is no commandment greater than these, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. So we've got three points today. We know that loving our city is a biblical command. It's a command, the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor. On, it's the same as the Ten Commandments, right? Loving our city is evidence that we have, any, have eternal life. When we go out and live the way Jesus lived, when we love the way Jesus loved, you know, Jesus dined with sinners. Jesus hung out with smelly fishermen and tax collectors. That's the evidence that we're Christians, that we have eternal life. And Jesus tells us that the second greatest commandment, next to loving God, loving our city, is the most important thing that we can do. Doesn't mean the others are not important. Doesn't mean that the other things we shouldn't do. But we have to be focused on loving others. We can't sit in a church, in a pew, in a classroom, and think that we're being faithful Christians if that's all we do. So let me ask the question. If God's people, if the church, if Central Christian Church does not love Bristol and engage Bristol, who will? Who will? If we don't strive to meet the needs, Dennis talked last week or two weeks ago, Jesus weeping for Jerusalem. There are reasons we should weep for Bristol. If we're not seeking to meet those needs, who will? At this point, I'm going to step on my own toes and probably step on some other people's toes, but I'm going to say this. We're not going to engage Bristol. We're not going to reach, people, to reach Bristol to meet the needs of Bristol with great preaching and great teaching, if that's all we do. We're not going to reach Bristol and meet Bristol's needs with a three-year strategic plan 
We're not going to reach Bristol with great worship music. We're not going to meet Bristol's needs and reach Bristol with vivid Wednesday night meals taking youth to TCTC. Those are all great things. That's part of the equation. They're great initiatives. We need people to, to give and to tithe so we can support those programs. We need people to volunteer. We need people to, to help achieve goals of those programs. But we won't be meeting all of Bristol's needs if that's all we do. We will engage Bristol when those of us who sit in the pews in the classrooms at Central Christian Church go out and we actively engage Bristol. I'm going to challenge, challenge you today to prove me wrong. Okay? If I'm wrong about this, somebody find it in God's word and come tell me, David, you're wrong. There is no place, I've read this book at least four times cover to cover on a one-year reading plan. There is no place that I'm aware of in the word of God where it tells the lost and the needy to go find God's people. It doesn't tell them to go find the tabernacle in the Old Testament. It doesn't tell them, go find the church in the New Testament. It doesn't tell somebody who's in need, hey, those people down at the church will help you. You know what it does tell, say in here? It tells us to go find them. It tells us to go find the needy and serve the needy. It tells us to go find the lost, bring the lost to Jesus. It doesn't tell them to come to us. Okay, the Great Commission says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say, baptize them when they walk in your doors. If I'm wrong about that, if, it, if there's someplace in here where it tells them to come to us, somebody come tell me. Okay, great programs, great teaching, great preaching, all important. But that's all primarily to equip us to go to them. The purpose of all that. Loving our city means that we love our neighbor. We don't love our neighbor when it's convenient. We don't love our neighbor when they're easy to love. That means we love our neighbor at school. We love our neighbor at work, at the gas station, at the ball game, at the bank. At Walmart, it means we love our neighbor then. It means we look for ways to serve and meet the needs of people. We share God's love with them. All of these church programs are great. And this year at Central Christian, we're going to have some great opportunities where we have planned church activities to go out and engage Bristol. We're going to have those, and we need people to be involved. And those are going to be very, they're going to be fun. They're going to be effective. And when we do those, we're going to be loving our neighbor. But it has to be more than that. If we do that five times a year as a church, that's not enough. Individually, we have to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Engage Bristol is not just a church program or a church slogan. It's a mission for all of us in this room. 
So let me ask this one more time. If we don't love Bristol and we don't engage Bristol, who will? Who's going to do it? So that brings us to our connection point. Loving our city isn't just something that you do at a church function. It's an essential function of a Christian, and it should be a part of our daily lives. We have to make that our mission individually. And our individual mission contributes to the goals of Central Christian Church, and it contributes to the goals of the Christian church as a whole. So let's turn back to our lawyer friend. He asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Before we're going to love God, before we're going to love the city of Bristol, we've got to answer that question. What are we going to do with Jesus? So Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So if there's anyone here this morning that's never placed your trust in Jesus, I invite you to do that today. You can come forward. I'll be happy to talk with you, pray with you. If you're visiting and want to place your membership here, or if you just want to rededicate your life, come forward, because before, without doing that, we can't properly love Bristol. You've got to place your faith in Jesus. Start by loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when we've done that, then we can love our neighbor. We can fulfill that second greatest commandment. We can love our neighbor as ourselves and love our city. So let me pray. And then again, as the band, as Chris starts singing after we pray, uh, please come forward. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that saved us. And Lord, thank you for the mission field that we have here. Help us to, to just see the needs in Bristol as we weep for all the people in Bristol who are suffering, who need Jesus, who need love, who need the church. Let us be the hands and feet of Jesus. Let us um, help fulfill your mission and your kingdom on this earth. We ask all this in your heavenly name. Amen.